Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. Bless You Boys is your home on the SB Nation platform for all things Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm your host, Brandon Day, and with me is my co-host, Ashley McLennan, before she leaves on a spectacular vacation tour of the baseball southeast of America. I'm How's it going? so excited. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that plans my vacation around baseball. So um, I'm doing a little like fly to Miami, hang out in Miami for three days, then drive up to Tampa, uh, spend two days in Tampa, and uh, go to a Rays game every day. I'm there. Yeah, and, um, and you got all the yeah, press, just, the press access. Yeah, I'll be and all that. I'll be doing it both ways, which I think will be entertaining. Well, on the Saturday, I get to go like fan experience, you know, go pet the Rays, go find DJ Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Do like the whole like raised fan experience, and then the second day I'm there, I have press passes. I'm going to be covering the game for DRB, uh, chatting with the guys in the clubhouse. Uh, I think meeting Kevin Cash in the dugout. You know, doing all of the uh, the press like things. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. So it should be a lot of fun. So look forward to some stuff from me at DRaysBay.com on that. If you're keen to learn about the Orioles and Rays series, which I know so many of you Tigers fans are. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, finish, up next week. Yeah, I'm finishing up my trip in Atlanta at SunTrust. So, oh, yeah, that'll pretty, be cool. Pretty exciting tour. Although now I'm pretty bummed because Jose Bautista was released, so I won't get to see him because he's with the Mets now, signed on a one-year deal that was announced. Yep, yep. He's just kind of kicking around like an old, somewhat useless penny at this point. But you never know. <laughs> Maybe I'll find it for a little bit and put together a little stretch and make all the, all the Torontoans and Canadians generally happy. Um, yeah, it'll be cool to see SunTrust. Um, I don't know how many ballparks you've been to. I haven't been to very many. I think I've only got like five major league ballparks, but yeah, it'd be cool uh, to check uh, off um, SunTrust, see Albies and uh, Acuna down there tearing it up. Acuna. Uh, so yeah, and I guess this will be my, I have 14 going into this, so I'll have 17 when this is over. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm way behind. See, I, I'm afraid I am not that dedicated a baseball fan. I plan my <laughs> since I've been working here anyway, and and writing and obsessing about baseball constantly to to a degree I never imagined. I plan all my vacations away from baseball <laughs> for the most part. Aww. Yeah, like you know, like the weekend in Detroit, you know, to see a couple games or Chicago and see a couple games like that, I'll do. But yeah, when it when it comes time to for a big old vacation, I, I usually kind of want to break. So. Uh, fair enough. Although Chicago is a great place to go see baseball. Chicago's just a great place to visit in general. Yeah, I love Chicago for sure. Yep, lived there briefly. Great. So, yep, still, I still kind of consider it partly home. I still claim Chicago just a little bit. But none of their teams. <laughs> Not even the Cubs. Like, I, I, when I, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of like half a Cubs fan because they were the only other team I could watch besides the Tiger games. So, I, I had a soft spot. But, you know, once they win the World Series, it's sort of like, yeah, all right, enough of you guys for, for the time being. <laughs> Everybody settle down over there. Oh, no, I can't. Yeah, yeah it's the Cubs, you know. They're the storied franchise. Um, They're delightful. They got Brizzo. They How do. can you not love Brizzo? I do love those two guys. It's true. Yep. Uh, and honestly, I, I like Schwarber as well. Like, I'm a, I'm a Warbird fan. Like, I, I hope he keeps kind of developing a little bit. Because, yeah, he's, he's a fun yeah. guy to watch when he's on a roll, too. He's, he's just a man. I'm a big bias fan i mean this is all incredibly biased i write about the cubs too so after writes about every team yeah, she, yeah, she i only write about team. three but I, we're probably about 15 minutes away from me joining lookout landing let's not kid ourselves oh yeah if you can get in there that's the big time that's the pathway <laughs> to glorious fan well yeah that's like a bridge work. bridge to the big leagues of writing right there they've yeah. got all the best the sullivans and the rallies and the ah uh, yeah, yeah it's I, great 
But for now, we will stick to another storied franchise, although the story has been a somewhat painful one lately. But the uh, the Tigers, um, you know, brief, brief and glorious run at the at first place in the American League Central is um, rapidly coming to an end with four straight losses and down 3-0 in the sixth tonight, seventh, excuse me, as we record. Um, it, I mean, it, you know, this isn't a big surprise or anything like that. Um, Matt Boyd, unfortunately, left the game with an oblique spasm, um, and he was he was pitching pretty well and lost his command um, and walked two guys in a row, and that was kind of the end of his night. Um, and that's obviously not going to help any help matters any. Um, you figure this is kind of it, and this is where we start to kind of tailspin into 60-win territory, although we're not that much ahead of that pace as it is anyway. No, no. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I don't. I think we can kind of give up the ghost of ever hoping to have that first place spot at this point. Yeah, we all kind of um, wanted, yeah, just to like just to snatch it for a couple just, days would have been fun, but just for like a week, yep. just to be up there would have been a lot of fun. But I think with with the injuries mounting, it's kind of and with Boyd especially, like the one super reliable guy in your lineup. Um, that's not what you want to see. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously, you know, the ty- part of the problem over the last, you know, slate of games is that the bullpen has been just abysmal, um, with the exception of Joe Jimenez. Um, we had Shane Green blow another save, um, and you need to just keep running out, you know, Warwick Sawpold and the Daniel Stumps of the world. You're, you're, you're going to have a bad time, and we've had a bad time. But um, it also comes back to the lineup, don't you think, to some degree. Um, you know, Miggy and Candelario being out. We just got Martin back, and he's been scuffling since he came back. Um, this team needs to score a few more runs um, because putting us in these tight games every night is just wearing out the, the two good relievers that we actually have. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I mean, you're looking at some pretty decent performances from some guys that I don't think we expected a lot from. Um, Nico Goodrum's been really surprising. Yeah. Um, and But, I mean, that's like making the best of a bad situation. Yeah. It, it, it's not saying that we're going to have an amazing breakout team. Like, God, if you had to pick an all-star at this point <laughs> from the Tigers, what would you do? Oh, man. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean... From sheer star power, like megawatt appeal jacoby jones is the only big standout except for maybe castellanos yeah and and jones doesn't have anywhere near uh you know and jones doesn't have the 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 numbers by any stretch but you know somebody's got to go in yeah maybe joe Joe jimenez maybe as a relief ace maybe it's possible it's just so hard to pinpoint anybody that even deserves that (laughs) yeah maybe you know i guess you could have said Candelario is some kind of a backup, but there's there's just too many good third basemen out there. It's that's that's a tough road to hoe too. Yeah, it's tough. So I find that that's the kind of the hard thing because we're watching these games and they are fun, um, and you're seeing a lot of really good performances from guys, but they're good in terms of what's around them. Yeah. Right. So I mean. Yeah, it's all based you know, on low expectations. They're surpassing those, but it's not. Yeah, actual if, if I go to a gold ice game in Winnipeg, I'm going to be blown away by Josh Mazzola, but it doesn't mean that he's <laughs> going to, you know, be the next gold glove winning anything. Like, you have to look at what's around them. And it, it's a team of, of, and I hate to say this, but of largely mediocre guys. Yeah. And so we can still be dazzled by the performances we're seeing in relation to other less awesome performances but i think we're you're like you said we're going to start seeing the kind of general decline that it's sort of inevitable with the team that's on the field you mean you know i have some some faith that the offense you know can rebound a bit um you know candelario is going on a rehab assignment 
Uh, Miguel Barrera sounds like he's getting close to coming back, and obviously those those two things will help a lot. Um, but, you know, John Hicks has done a nice job at first base and, you know, basically hit the cover off the ball, too. So, you know, six of one half dozen or the other, you know, we're going to be taking him out of the lineup probably, you know, to a large extent. And that's, you know, that's going to hold back the impact of getting Cabrera back. Although, you know, in an RBI situation, I'll take Miguel Cabrera, you know, in whatever shape he's in all day over over John Hicks at this point still. So those things might help a little bit, but there's there's just no help really coming for the from the bullpen. Um you know, you look at what's going on in Toledo. There's been a lot of guys who performed really well there. Um, Drew Verhagen has performed really well there. Blaine Hardy was just an absolute monster when he was starting for them. But they come up to the major leagues, and, you know, it's it's a different ball game. Blaine Hardy's still been, you know, quite useful. Decent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he I started like him, but... out four strong innings on the weekend. That were like, It was yesterday, I should say. It was yeah. Monday. His, he had four pretty solid innings against the Twins. And then it fell apart. But for a guy who's been pitching in relief in the majors for most of his entire career, um, I, I think that he just needs to find a way to push at that extra inning, and he's going to have something. Yep. Or you and, know, or he goes back to you know he takes over Daniel Stump's job and is our primary you know lefty reliever. And you know, I, at this point, I can't really say that's a bad idea either because <laughs> I, I haven't seen anything out of Daniel Stump that. Has maybe want to see him uh, him pitch for the Tiger as much <laughs> this season if possible. Yeah, no, no. There's been no uh, no nothing of impression there. Yeah, um, I'll just because it kind of fits into this topic. Um, Jacob Markle, uh, one of our writers, asked us a question to answer on the podcast about um, Josh Turley, who has been. He's a, if if people aren't familiar, Josh Turley is a left-handed knuckleballer who has been, um, you know, really good. Like, you know, it seems like every year he's kind of gone for like an extended spring training stint and then come back and and done really well. So um, I I believe he struck out 10 in his last outing. He struck out or he walked four, but, um, you know, that kind of thing happens when you're a knuckleballer. You get get a little bit of wildness in there. So, I mean, you know, I I guess there's an option for maybe a little bit of help, but... um, it's hard to believe he's going to do much better than Ryan Carpenter, who you know kind of came up and was is just a body and went back and didn't uh, didn't do well the other night. Uh, Monday night he gave up I think nine runs and in three innings of work and just got destroyed. So you know this is what we're what we're looking at. You know Lewis Coleman's kind of been okay, like eh, you know maybe not terribly bad. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty bleak, pretty bleak pickings. And if they want to, bring, well, and if you know if they do bring Josh Turley up, he's uh, he's not on the forty man, I don't believe, and so. That would mean that someone will have to go bye-bye as well. Um, and the Tigers don't like to say bye-bye to even very, very Ma, mediocre yeah. pitchers. <laughs> so, Well, the the other thing they just did is they purchased the contract of Kevin Chapman and assigned him to AAA. So yeah, yep. they're really grasping at straws. Yep, I mean, that's a independent league pitcher, um, a lefty who's, I think, 30 or 31, something like that. Yeah, I think so. he's 30. So, yeah, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I think that until... We well, he was to... drafted by the Tigers. Oh, in, really? Like, two... I don't want to be making that up, but hold on. I can't spell. That wouldn't um, surprise I me. I feel much. like he was, like, a 24th round, like... But, but it must now have I'm just like making a, up numbers. Yeah, but it like, must have been like a decade ago, though, right? It was, it was oh, easy. He yeah. was... Oh my goodness! He was uh, he was drafted by the Tigers in the forty second round of two thousand and six. Wow! Wow! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! 
But so, he didn't sign. Yeah, he went to university instead. Good for you, Kevin. You made it here anyway. Yep. And, you got and then he was drafted by the White need. Sox in the <laughs> 50th round of the 2009 draft. And again didn't sign. And then was drafted by the Royals in the 2010 draft. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah, those are the rounds where you generally see like friends and family. That's the friends and family program <laughs> down there. <laughs> beyond, the, beyond the 30th round. Yeah. So what we're saying here like is that he- Kevin Chapman isn't going to help you any, and the Tigers aren't showing any interest in getting any legitimate help at all. So, you know, abandon all hope. You who enter here, it's it's going to be bad. It just it just is, and unless um you know some of these guys like you know maybe Buck Farmer settles in and is a little little more consistent, then okay. Um, I don't know, maybe Artie Lewicki comes up or you know something. Zach Reiniger maybe figures it out for some outings and looks okay. Um, there, there just really isn't much else um, help forthcoming until the Tigers decide to start dipping down into the the lower levels of the the farm system and maybe promoting someone out of Double A. Um, you know, there's there's a couple good relievers down there, John Schreiber, Matt Hall, um, another guy or two that maybe could could come up and help out at some point. But you just see the Tiger. You know, there's no reason to rush those guys, and the Tigers will probably wait until the second half before they start making any any of those kind of moves or converting Sandy Baez to a reliever. Um, we're, we're just going to have to kind of suffer through it the next two months and hope some of these guys can, can hold it together. So, yeah. So, yeah, there's your answer, Jacob. Uh, no, we're, we're totally doomed. <laughs> no the way. end is nigh! Yeah. But on the plus side, um, you know, the starting rotation continues to give them, you know, five or six, you know, solid innings every night um we haven't really had we haven't had too many blow-ups and um you know matt boyd apparently suffered a left oblique spasm tonight during the game and that's why he was removed um if that's a strain then he could be out for weeks um if it is really just a spasm maybe maybe less time i'm not the doctor here but it seems like you know you're probably going to miss a start or two at least from him and that that's that's no good for anybody because that leaves you with you know liriano and fulmer and fires and that's kind of it um we're still waiting to kind of hear if jordan zimmerman or alex wilson might be back anytime early in june but um, we haven't really haven't heard a whole lot of them that those guys are throwing on flat ground and such so that's yeah still just kind of in limbo as far as those guys go so yeah there's uh, there's not a lot of help coming um as far as the offense is going you know you've seen jacoby jones like continue to contribute you know on the bases and playing good defense, but he's really kind of um, slipped into a funk over the past week. Um, how, how are you feeling about Jacoby right now? Do you think he might turn this around, or is this kind of the turning back into a pumpkin moment? <laughs> this time that the ball is over? Um, no, I think it's just a slump. I, I think that he's pretty consistently shown this season that he's he's taken strides to develop himself, so I'm not worried about a little bit of a downward turn. I think everybody has, though. I think if it lasts a month, then we start panicking. Um, but I'm not at that stage yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing that's still giving me confidence is that he's been striking out more lately, but um, but he's still kind of got the strikeout rate to a very manageable level. I think he's at 26% right now, which is, you know, high for, you know, baseball f- four or five years ago, but right now is pretty normal. Um, the problem with Jacoby is that he's just not walking at all. Um, and he's a guy who did walk, you know, pretty regularly in the minor leagues. Um, and you'd like to see him show a little bit more of that discipline because when you're relying just on just on your hits, like your your batting average and OBP just fluctuate wildly, and you have a couple bad games, and all of a sudden your average has dropped sixty points, and your OBP is dropping sixty points at the same time, and it's just a mess. So 
But he did have a good night so far tonight. He's got a single and a double out there. Made a great catch. Um, threw a guy out at home plate last night. So I'm perfectly content to continue playing him every day. And yeah, and just, just seeing how it goes this year. I mean, this is the year, right, for Kobe Jones kind of... Yeah, trial and error. Just and... kind of air the guys out. I think there's no sense in sending him down. He's not going to benefit from it all. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's he's still young enough to have some, some hope in, whereas Mikey Matuk... You know, yeah. he's getting a little bit long in the tooth to be a guy who can't kind of figure it out and consistently stay in the majors. So I don't know how, how much longer he is for the team. I assume he'll he'll get to play out the year two and we'll just kind of see if maybe he can kind of get hot at some point and at least be a contributor. But it's not looking too good on that front, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's not. It's not been a promising season from my poor Mikey, which is a shame, but I can admit it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Because, of course, in the end, like, you know, we all know this season, you know, isn't, isn't in the end going to be so much about wins and losses. It's going to be about, you know, what the Tigers, you know, can develop as far as the guys they have and which guys they can trade away. And we are seeing, um, you know, apart from Shane Green, who unfortunately has struggled a little bit, um, you know, we, we've seen some guys look like they might be able to bring some pretty good stuff in trade. Um, obviously, Michael Fulmer and Matt Boyd are the first two that come to mind, but I don't really want to consider either either of them yet. Because I want a haul for for either one of them at this point, um, and I and Fulmer hasn't pitched well enough to get a haul uh, from anybody. And Matt Boyd has pitched really well, but there's still some like underlying weakness in the peripheral numbers where you could see a team you know not being real convinced that Matt Boyd's going to be a, an above average starting pitcher for the the years to come. But um, but there are some guys who do look like they've turned themselves into you know nice trade chips at this point. And like who who among those? I mean, do you think? you are kind of most interested to see what the Tigers could get for. I mean, whether it's Shane Green, Oof. Liriano. Um, uh, I honestly Iglesias, don't think we're, we're, we're going to get a lot of anything for anybody. Um, nothing of, of real excitement. But at the same time, right, we traded Avila and Wilson to the Cubs last year, and nobody thought that what we got back from that was anything to, to get excited about. And Jamer Candelario has been incredible. Um I mean, as incredible as you could hope for from somebody who spent most of his time in the minors playing third, right? Like, as far yeah. as what we picked up last season, he's been the best, and we can easily say we won that trade. Yeah. Um, We've also got I, Isaac Prades, who's, um, you know, scuffling a little bit in Lakeland, but is really young yeah. and looks amazing. Like, looks like this kid might be a future star. So, yeah, that was a huge win, for sure. Uh, absolutely. So, I, I think... You're not going to get anybody really exciting back for these, but you might get a couple like double A ready guys that could be interesting. Um, I, I mean, I think Liriano's going to get traded as long as he stays consistent. Dude almost threw a no hitter the other day. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's definitely polishing up his resume right now, doing stuff like that, and people are taking notice for sure. Like we've already heard rumors this week that clubs have been in contact with the Tigers, going, "Hey, how about this Francisco Liriano guy?" Um, I, I think it's almost a no-brainer that you trade him if there's a, there's any interest because he's a one-year contract. That's basically a rental, and if you get any kind of return for that, you absolutely take it. Um, I, I think Green will... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think, like, to talk about Liriano a bit, like, the trick for the Tigers is going to be, you know, figuring out when to, when to deal him because you'd like to wait till closer to the trade deadline when teams start you know, feeling more confident about their chances and take a little bit more sober assessment of their needs, you know, maybe aren't, you know, hoping, you know, so drastically that, you know, this kid in AAA is going to come up and help them out. You know, they know where they're at and they're willing to pay more 
at that point. But the problem is you're also taking the risk that Liriano might fade and then you've diminished his value. So there's definitely like a, a, a balancing act there between, you know, when is he at his peak value um, to the Tigers and when are they taking too much of a risk and waiting too long? So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, I think you I think you can still get something decent for Green. Because I'm not fully off the Shane Green train just yet. And I think, I don't remember if we talked about this in chat or if it was our discussion last week. Um, I, I think it's unfair to say that he's done just because he hasn't been great through April and May. Yeah. Um, he heats up later in the season. And I think that other teams know that. And I think the second he shows a couple consistent weeks of work, teams are going to be lining up because everybody needs all the bullpen help they can get. Yeah. And I, I think once he shows that he's still got that consistency, he's going to get something decent in return. There, I mean, nothing amazing, because there is always that risk of him, right? People have seen how he falters. People have seen that he's had those hand issues. Um, so you're not going to get, like, an amazing trade in return. Yeah. Um, but I think you could still get something for him. Iglesias, maybe you get one double-A guy and, like, cash considerations. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, Iglesias is, you know, basically or pretty close to the worst hitting shortstop in, in baseball. Do you have a cat with you? <laughs> Do I? Yeah. No. Oh, I thought I heard something purring. That's funny. No. Um, I could, oh, that could just be my oh. headphones, right? So I think the cable of the headphones is just rubbing up against the actual mic. Sorry uh, about that. Oh, it's fine. It just sounded like purring. That was awesome. I was like, oh, it's Daddy, maybe. I'm a big, no, fan, uh, of, I'm a big fan of Ashley's cat, Daddy, by the way. The, the cats are I'm out in the country sad. with my mom and my aunt right uh, now. Oh, they're just living it up out there. They are having the time of their lives. My cat, Daddy, is amazing, by the way. And she is named after the character in A League of Their Own. So. <laughs> yeah, she's a um, but yeah, I mean, to come back to Iglesias, they're just, you know, you know, he's probably, you know, the second best defender at the position, maybe third in the game. Um, someone will want him. It's just, you know, that it's very hard to imagine anybody like wanting to install him as their starting shortstop. Um, you know, there are teams that need a shortstop, you know, like the Dodgers, for example, but you're just not going to get that much for him one way or the other. Um, yeah, to go back to Shane Green too, like, Shane Green has been a good, it's, I think it's important for people to remember, like, because sometimes, you know, if you're a fan of Shane Green, you can think he's been amazing, you know, a bunch of times. Um, and if you're, you're only thinking of the times he's blown a save, you think like, oh, he's been overrated all this time. I mean, Shane Green is just a good reliever. He's not a great reliever. Um, and, you know, for me, that's the kind of guy I kind of want as the closer, like a guy who's, you know, kind of a veteran, he's experienced, but, um, Compared to Justin Wilson, who was like a hard-throwing lefty and just a more rare type of guy, yeah, you just have to imagine the value isn't going to be the same, despite the fact that, you know, a team will get green for a couple years, so it's also not like they're just taking on a rental. Um, They'll be picking up a reliever to help them out for for a while to come. But, yeah, you definitely shouldn't expect to to pull like a Candelario Paredes-type ball out of somebody unless there's some kind of package deal that goes on, maybe. And there could be, right? You, you bundled Wilson and Avila. And, but, I mean, Avila was so hot at the beginning of last season, which I think people kind of sneer at when they're like, oh, yeah, you traded Alex Avila. But Avila was having most, like, his best offensive year that I can remember since 2011. Yeah, he was the best like, hitting catcher in the whole game in the first half last year. He was a monster. monster. <laughs> yep. So, like, I, I think people kind of scorn that but don't really remember just how strong of a trade ship he was at that point. Like, he he had so much going for him in that he was still a capable catcher for a team needing a backup. 
And, I mean, hell, I think he's the everyday catcher in Arizona right now. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they had some rookies who just kind of haven't worked out or been injured. So he's been playing a lot, which probably isn't good for him. And it's reflected in his numbers so far a little bit, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that anybody quite packs the punch trade value-wise as we saw last season. Um, I think and, the one that, that maybe does, and I don't know if the Tigers would do this, and it's it's just interesting to consider whether or not they would trade Joe Jimenez um, at this point. Oh, no. Why would you say that? No. Because... Oh, Brendan, it's fired forever. No. Because, you know, you're trading a guy who's like, you know, like a Tommy Canley that, you know, that was traded last year. Like, a, you know, just this, you know, this dominant young relief arm that looks like he might be one of the better relievers in the game, you know, coming coming up down, down the road. And it just depends. I mean, you know, the Tigers... I, I certainly wouldn't trade him unless I was getting like a blue chip, like amazing prospect for him or a very nice package of two. I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to give that up, but it is something you have to consider. Um, you know, relievers are fungible and guys get hurt and, you know, the Tigers might, it's hard to say like how far the Tigers are from being good again, but if they're, you know, if they're two or three years away and, you know, or if they think about like, if they're going to trade Fulmer or Boyd and, you know, set the rotation back like another two years. Um, you know, it could be, oh, it could be a long time before the Tigers really have built up the pitching again to uh, to be good. And I don't know. You know, at a certain point, you might have to think about it. I don't know. I definitely would okay. have to hear what people say. What what offers I'm, I was getting? I'm giving you five points for using the word fungible. Thank you. Um, and now you're going to well, destroy me. Like, don't you dare trade it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Like, I see what you're saying, and I and I think there's value in it. I just think the Tigers have got to be super careful when it comes to trading off these pieces. Like, you can't just start a snowball by going, okay, yeah, well, we're going to trade Fulmer, so we might as well just trade fucking everybody. Yeah. Um, because that's just not, it's not common sense when it comes to doing a rebuild. Like, yes, okay, I will, I will humor the concept of a Michael Fulmer trade just because he still hasn't quite lived up to 2016 expectation. Yeah. Um, and if you can get value on that trade, uh, I'd listen. I mean... Yeah, you've always got to listen, obviously. Yeah, in the Tigers' I, I, position. And but... I think Al Avila is going to have a little bit more flexibility in what he's willing to listen to at this point. Um, but then again, I don't think that trading Michael Fulmer suddenly means we give up and push the rebuild back two more years. I don't think that Fulmer is so much a key piece that he completely alters the course of, of what we're going to see. Mm. I apologize for the honking that is going on. <laughs> right it's so hot here. I have to have the window open. Oh, really? Yeah, it's um, pretty humid here as well. It's not hot, but it's humid. Yeah, it's melty. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I've been a big defender of keeping Fulmer around. I, I do, I do believe that he is part of the Tigers future. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, I know. I, it's, I know. It's, there's so many moving pieces. As soon as you move one thing, like it, it rearranges the board, you know, substantially. Especially if it's someone like Fulmer. Um, I have. A, I don't want to trade Michael Fulmer either, unless I'm getting like somebody's like elite, like the best shortstop or second base prospect in the game. Like I want position of need. I want the best guy. And otherwise, I have no interest at all because I mean. You know, people forget how, how hard it is to build up, you know, pitching. Um, it, it just is. You know, the Tigers traded for Fulmer, Norris, and Boyd, and if they hadn't, we would have nothing. I mean, we would have absolutely nothing but, you know, rental-type free agents that we're, you know, trying to piece a rotation together with. Um, I'm I'm very worried about the idea of Alavila, um, you know, going into trade negotiations with someone like Billy Epler or, you know, Jeff Lunau again in, in Houston and just getting robbed, you know, for, for Fulmer, you know, selling him 
as the guy he is right now, who's like a good, but certainly not, you know, a top or maybe even second tier pitcher yet, um, at least not consistently. Um, and, and just giving him away for, you know, another kind of pair of decent to average prospects, you know, just to build the depth. So yeah, that worries me. I mean, I don't want to trade any pitching. Um, even if the Tigers decide to draft Casey Mize, um, which is a topic we'll get to in a minute. Um, I still, I want all the pitching you can get. Like you can, we've seen it plenty of times where you can win with a bad, you know, and not a bad team, but a very, very average team positionally. If you have, you know, huge amounts of pitching depth and I just don't want to give any of it away. Um, if the Tigers, you know, can't, you know, find a shortstop or a second baseman, um, either in the draft or, you know, through some kind of a trade or a free agent signing. Well, you know, I, you know, I don't know if we were going to go very far anyway, but, um, but you could still win with just two decent guys there if you've got the pitching. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of trading Fulmer either. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in trading Boyd <laughs> right now, just cause I'm not so sure this is very sustainable and you do kind of want to try to hit a guy at his, I would humor that. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what the Tigers could get from Matt Boyd. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm ears open for that one. And I don't want to be um, too dire. I mean, you never know. Dan, you know, Daniel Norris, you know, has obviously been battling this injury or whatever for like a full year, and you know they tried other routes to to handle it, and it didn't work out. So hopefully, he's you know he's got the surgery and he comes back and is healthy and strong and throwing ninety three, ninety four again. And in which case, maybe you do have another really good bullpen arm or yeah, still possibly a starter. So it's not like there's no depth. And the Tigers obviously have a lot of pitching depth in the farm system. It's just I'm not really seeing like anybody taking big strides so far other than um, my my conviction that Matt Manning is going to be really good one of these days. But it's going to take a while. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it just is. You know, there's there's a couple of really good trade chips that the Tigers have, but they're not the kind of trade chips that are going to bring you the mother load Chris sale type deal. Um, and I don't know that our front office is necessarily the, the smartest wheelers and dealers in the, in the shop, but at least like you mentioned that at least they're not in the situation they were last year where like they had to trade these guys cause they were going to hit free agency anyway. Yeah. Um, Verlander obviously was, was an exception to that, but um, once you decided everybody else had to go, it made sense to move Verlander too. So Yep, hopefully Al holds out for the moon, and hopefully someone has the moon and gives it up. So, And we'd have a moon. That'd be sweet. And <laughs> we would have a moon. I like it. <laughs> I like how you think. Get us the, the moon. moon. Where, where would we play the moon? <laughs> <laughs> Can the moon handle second base? Solid blocking catcher right here. Yeah. <laughs> but how's his arm? Yeah, hard to look in at that target, though. It's bright, <laughs> reflective. Yeah, it yeah. just blocks the whole fucking zone. Yep. Um, all right, you know, we're just gonna have to kind of play it by ear with the Tigers, folks. Um, you know, that we all knew this was going to be a rough go and we're kind of in the rough go stage. It'll be interesting, I think, to see if Gardy can keep these guys going because, you know, we've had the whole first, you know, part of the season narrative where, you know, they're having more fun, you know, Gardy keeps everybody upbeat and this team never quits and blah, 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 you know, just a bunch of BS really, in my opinion. Um, Brad Osmus teams did really well in April and early May too. um, the test comes when you start having injuries and guys start getting tired and they've been away from their family a lot and they're on the road and it's getting hot out in June. 
like that's when you see if your manager has actually like got anything special. I think about uh, you know keep keeping the mojo going. So we'll we'll see what Gardy's got for us. Um, at least he's got the jokes. I'll, I'll give him that. He's he's continued. Yeah, oh to, God, continue to be fun. The ringtone. Delight. We're hilarious. just gonna talk about this every week, I think, because he continues to like. Yesterday, Ron from our site came into the chat, and he's just like, so Ron Gardenhire just stopped in the middle of a press conference because his phone started ringing Kelly Clarkson stronger, and he told guys that. <laughs> They had to leave and make up answers to their own questions because it was Al. And I'm like, no, you made that up. Like, there's no fucking way that's true. And sure enough, we posted a video of it on the site today. It's absolutely legit. It happened. Yep, it's true. <laughs> like, I just... What even is Ron Gardenhire? How did we get this lucky? Yep. Well, like, at this point, I don't even care how he... <laughs> Yep. He manages because he's so delightful. And I think, you know, in part, that's that's what he's here for. You know, he's just a super likable, good people person. And, you know, a long time solid baseball man. And it just, you know, it in retrospect, you know, as, as much as I wanted Gabe Kapler and as well as Gabe Kapler is doing with the Phillies... Um, yeah, I mean, Garden Hire does make sense in a, in, a, in, a, in a way for this team because you do need someone to kind of tell it to the media straight and, you know, and kind of keep the fans engaged and not, you know throwing tantrums and kicking stuff. Um, yeah, he sure is making it so much more fun after losing games <coughs> than Brad Osmus ever did. I mean, you, you can't get Ron Gardenhire. You know, that that's the thing is it, he's got that, that honest streak where, you you know, you can't get him. Like, you know, before you rip the Tigers, he ripped the Tigers. You know, if, he, if he's, you were about to say that this guy had a terrible night, you know, Gardenhire's already out there. Like, oh, he had a terrible night. You know, he's going to He's like, like don't that, worry, like I'm going to talk to him about it. Yeah, Leonis Martin the other day getting caught sleeping um, and, and giving up a run when he should have thrown the ball in immediately. You know, he's like, yeah, he knows he got abused out there. Everybody knows he got abused out there. You know, it's like, yep, well, you can't really, can't really, you know, go and rip the team when the manager does it for you. And he's got the, the experience and grandpa face and clout to, to say those things. And the players don't, you know, don't take offense. You know, they have respect for him and... Yep, so, you know, for the time being, you know, Ron Gardenheim might be the best we've got. I did like how he ended that call, too. He was just like, now he doesn't want to talk to you guys, <laughs> to the media. Like, Alavila has no interest in being involved in this, in any kind of a speakerphone conversation right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think Al's just like, oh, and hung up. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, do your thing, guys. Yeah. The, the interesting thing to think about, perhaps, though, as far as that, and to try to tie it into my next topic, is that where was Alavila calling from? Because I've I've heard you know that Alavila was you know visiting Jared Kelenic, a prep center fielder um, who plays in Wisconsin, who is who is probably going to go top ten, maybe top five in the draft. Um, and what's happened kind of over over the last couple days, and this and this is just kind of you know in part this is just how the run up to the Major League Baseball draft goes. Um, and maybe, and probably every draft. I don't pay attention to football's draft or football that much in general, but I'm sure it's the same thing. But Casey Mize has been the lock, you know, ace for Auburn University, pitching in the SEC, 124 strikeouts, eight walks, absolutely dominant season, um, looking like the the presumed and almost certain number one overall pick. And yet this week, like all of a sudden, you start hearing, you know, some of the you know, some of the chatter and some of the rumors, and it becomes very difficult to to tell if anything has actually changed as far as the Tigers' evaluations or if the Tigers are trying to manipulate, you know, Casey Mize or other teams as far as, like, how much, you know, Casey Mize is going to be able to ask for as far as his bonus. Um, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel of Fangraphs, who are their two excellent prospect writers, both kind of mentioned this week that the certainty around Mize is broken, and now it's 
you know, 60% Mize and 40% Joey Bart. Um, nah. and, 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 you know, like I said, and I, I heard that Al Avila was, was visiting Jared Kellenek and was very friendly with his family and with Mr. Kellenek himself, as though, you know, they, they've hung out and talked a few times now, which is no surprise. Al Avila's visited all these guys. I'm sure he's talked to Nick Madrigal and, you know, Casey. Well, I think Myers he was just, they guys. had rumors about him, you know, on a Bart thing last week too, didn't they? Like, yeah, that was, that I was think... kind of the, I think that was the one that kind of tipped him to like, eh, maybe the Tigers are still kind of not totally convinced as far as Casey Mize, but you just don't know if it's yeah. a snow screen or what, you know? Here's what I think about it. I, I think, and I'm, I don't, I don't think that anything has happened to Casey Mize in the last two weeks that has diminished his his value in any way. Right. Um, nothing that I've seen reported anyway. There's no resurgent issues with his hand. There's, I mean, we're still what two, three weeks tops removed from a 15 strikeout game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The nothing last two is, have been decent. You know, like not amazing, yeah. but nothing that. Yeah. Would I'm sorry, he's not throwing perfect games every other day. Yeah. Um, but the thing about it is, I, I think he suffers from the same thing that a ton of these prospects suffer from in that overexposure leads to boredom. Yeah. Um, I think people have been so high on talking about Casey Mize that they're just like, but what if not Casey Mize? Yeah. And now they're just spinning stories because they want to talk about somebody different because how many different times is somebody going to search Casey Mize scouting report? Um, they just need to, to churn up something new to talk about. Like, yeah, we've said it before, that it's not the most exciting draft class we've ever seen. There's yeah. nobody with that kind of je ne sais quoi that Hunter Green had. Um, so I don't know. Like, and he, and he like, didn't even go number one. So No, exactly. And and maybe Casey Mize won't either. Um, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't know. I don't know if Al's just gaming the system and trying to say, oh, Casey, we have other options. Yeah. Because... Uh, I don't know. I don't like that kind of mind game, and I don't know that I like clubs that play it. Well, um, and it's also not necessarily the Tigers who are playing that mind game. It can be other teams saying, oh, the Tigers might not take Mize, and so like these other guys are in play for them um, as, a, as a means to kind of talk to other guys, you know, other prospects that maybe they're interested in in the top five and say, like, you know, the Tigers aren't going to take him. So, you know, maybe we're going to take Casey Mize, you know, but what if we, if we do take you, you know, what are you going to ask for as far as salary demands? You know, like, yeah, it's really hard to tell. And, and you're totally right because I mean, I've been doing this a couple of years now and this happens every, every year, like clockwork. And I think Rob and I were both just kind of waiting for like, okay, when is the, you know, when is the certainty going to all end? And then suddenly like two weeks before the draft, it's like, oh, everybody's, you know, everything shook and no one's as certain as they were before. And and as far as Casey Mize goes, like, the numbers were just so dominant, like, it, it was just sort of inarguable, but a lot of times what happens, too, is I, I think people don't take a really good look, like, a really, really intensely good look at the player until, you know, this time of year, and when you do, you know, you see Casey Mize has some some flaws, not as a player so much, but as a number one overall pick player. Um, mm-hmm. There, There's definitely questions as to whether or not he's basically at his ceiling already and whether or not he there's there's much left in the tank um there's some questions about his fastball as far as um how much life he's got on it um that doesn't concern me so much i've, I've seen enough of him to kind of feel like eh, you know when he's when he's throwing his best and at his best arm angle um the pitch has plenty of life i'm not terribly worried about that but these things these things just kind of come out um kylie mcdaniel today was saying um he got asked if casey mize doesn't go number one overall how, how far does he fall where does he end up 
And Kylie said, this seems to be the question of the moment. Detroit is seriously thinking about other options now at 1-1, and the talk of this got around right after the last mock draft came up. Um, the specifics about what medicals Casey Mice has shared, what Detroit has, and what other teams might have, as well as what those medicals actually say, is a little hazy. And many of that, and many of that is, you know, that information is largely protected by HIPAA. So we're not going to get everything we would like to know pre-draft. Um, you know, and you know, I have a lot of faith in in the Fangraphs guys, but you know, it's they're not necessarily above having the pot stirred as well, or being the the subject of the pot stirries. You know, the the tool of the pot stirrers to, to yeah. start these things up. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know, in the end, like this just gives us things to write about for the next week and a half. <laughs> rather than just being like, well, it's Casey Mize, and okay, we're down to the second round, and what are we going to do there? But um, yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's just interesting watching this the, the whole process go on and, and the rumor mongering kick in hardcore at this point. Yeah, we're getting to that point. Eh? The fever pitch is upon us. Yeah, and still no mention of the Tigers taking Nick, Nick Madrigal, which is fucking infuriating. Maybe they'll just surprise us. That, that Maybe was, they don't want it that. publicized. Maybe I'll that. just have my birthday early this year. Yep, that'll be the trick. Like, you know, Nick Madrigal already told him, like, you know what, if you guys make me the first overall pick, I'll sign for $6 million and the Tigers take him. And then Ethan Hankins wants $3.5 million, you know, in late in the first round, and no one will pay it. And he drops to us at, you know, the first pick in the second round. And then I, at that point bow down and worship Alavila as a personal god for one one year, I'll say, if, if that happened. That's not going to happen, people. But in the end, it's probably going to be Casey Mize. I think we can still kind of kind of stick with that until, you know, something real crazy happens. If the Tigers draft Joey Bart on the catcher, like, that dude's better be Gary Sanchez, Buster Posey, reincarnated, or that's just an asinine pick at, at one overall, in my <laughs> opinion. But you never know. Yeah. Yeah. So... This concludes kind of the the Tigers portion of of this, and we, I, I want to get into a topic that oh, it, no. that that kind of like it kind of reaches out to baseball writers and kind of writers and media on a lot of topics. But would you could you like at least just just briefly explain what what the whole scenario is? This all revolves around the the Rays' use of Sergio Romo as an opener, pitching one inning against the Angels in two games, um, where he mowed down you know their vaunted top three and then turned it over to the technical starting pitcher from there, and then all hell ensues from people. Yeah, I think it was Yarbrough the first day and Andresi the next day, um, if I'm not mistaken. I only watched the Yarbrough game. Um, the thing is, okay, so I don't know why this concept is shaking everybody up so much. Basically what the Rays did, because in two out of their five starts, they're relying on bullpen arms. Um, they had had a fourth starter with Yanni Chirinos, but he had issues with his arm and had to be put on the DL. Um, and starting the season, they had a different fourth starter in Nathan Eovaldi, but he also had something called loose bodies in his elbow. Yeah, Nathan Eovaldi um, always has loose bodies, something, yeah. something in his body is always um, loose. This is, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's part of a long-term <laughs> issue um, that they finally addressed. Yeah. Um, he's on his way back now, so at some point, very soon, you'll probably see the Rays return to an actual four-man rotation and continue the bullpen day. Um, but right now, they're kind of relying on having two bullpen days, and what they decided to try recently was to use Sergio Romo, who is a late-inning guy and also has been a closer for the Giants, as those who remember the 2012 World Series will um, surely cry about. Yep, dominant, um, dominant against right-handers, right? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing, yep. He's a really solid guy against right-handed pitching. 
um, and a great guy to use in very short bursts. So what they decided to do was use him in the first inning against the top of the Angels lineup. Um, and it worked perfectly. He mowed through the like the top three both days, no issues. Is that Cozart, Trout, and Upton? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, and so then you move on, and he's and it was never planned beyond that. It was exactly like a closer role. Romo, you're going out for three, and we're pulling you in the second inning. And that was all that was ever planned. Um, and so then, start of inning two, you go to your quote-unquote starter. Um, in in the game one, it was Ryan Yarbrough. In the game two, it was Matt Andresi. And in one case, at least the game I watched, Yarbrough was able to go longer in a game than he's gone all season. Because Yarbrough isn't, by nature, a starter. He is mid-relief guy. I think the most he'd gone before that game was just under five innings, and he went six this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that was a result of, of them kind of messing with the lineup of the Angels, in that you don't have those top three guys having senior starting pitcher three times by inning six. Yeah. Um, it, it really does kind of mess up the, the, the flow of things. And Zach Kozart was very vocal about how little he liked it after the fact. First, he's just like, it's not how baseball's done. It's not how we play the game. Then today, he's adding quotes saying there must have been some sort of ulterior motive to it, to which I say, Zach Cozart, you're a moron. The ulterior motive was winning the game. Yeah. Um, well, like and, that, and doesn't this come down to, you know, like, and Zach Cozart, you know, just to put this out there for people, wasn't alone. I listened to MLB radio, like all the traditionalist type guys were like, oh, this is bad for baseball. You know, this is the another, you but, know, another chink in the armor of the, you know, the starting pitcher, you know, being run out of the game and there aren't going to be, you know, legit starting pitchers anymore. So that whole thing, you know, kind of became one angle on it. It was like, how stupid do you sound? Because you sound like the guys that rallied against the shift the first time the shift was used. Because can you imagine how the purists felt when all of a sudden you're moving your third base over to second, second's going over to midfield, you're leaving this huge gap, like, what is this? How is this? This isn't how my game is played. And now you're and, seeing and then, shifts and then the real, all over the place. Yeah, and the real old-timers all looked at him and said, like, ah, Ted Williams got shifted back in the day, you know, which is always the way. Like, you almost never see anything totally, totally like, un- unique and new in baseball. I mean, Tony LaRusso used, used, like, the three-and-three you know, methodology yeah. a few times where he had three relievers pitch three innings so that no one would see him more than once. You know, that yeah, was 30 years ago almost. is 100% all about adjustment. You're always trying to do the most with what you've got to win. And I, like, I, I wrote about last year in the postseason, I wrote about how the bullpen we could see being used differently in the season because of how we see it used differently in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that what the Rays are doing is an exceptionally new concept. We see bullpens kind of used more in depth in, in, in tricky situations, like in playoff games. Yeah, more flexible ways. Yeah. Like, matchups. And I think, yeah. And I think it gives those guys, like, I look at a situation like the Rays, where a pitcher like Chris Archer is honestly, if we're being upfront, only really good through five innings anyway. Yeah. Like, Chris Archer's never been a guy that's been consistent beyond seven innings. Yep. He always kind of falters around six. So I don't I don't know that I see the difference in bringing in somebody in the first inning and then pitching a guy for five or six after that. Then I see starting a guy in inning one, having him go to inning the end of inning five, and then platooning your bullpen at that point. 
And I certainly don't think that it's, like, destroying the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, in a certain sense, I, I mean, I wouldn't really like it if this became a thing. But it feels like, you know, the Rays are in a pretty, you know, specific situation. Um, you know, even their, their, their minor league depth, like, you know, guys they expected to have, like, Honeywell and Jose De Leon are, you know, are injured. They can't call those guys up. Um, you know, in a way, it's just a matter of trying to win rather than, you know, doing what, like, the Tigers would do in that situation, which is like, okay, well, we'll just let Warwick Sawpold or some, some person who's, like, completely not capable of going out there and giving you six innings ever, you know, you just very rarely, you know, would, would a guy like that get it done. You know, the Rays didn't, didn't do that. They didn't kind of surrender it. You know, they found an innovative solution, and... You know, the Rays have found a lot of innovative solutions over the years, and I think, you know, by and large, that's got to be a credit to their front office, you know, in a sense, to have to think outside the box. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but they're also, of course, and this is this is where this thing whole, you know, spun off the rails, is the, you know, the fact that, you know, Tampa Bay's owner is, is one of the whipping boys, um, and rightly so, in my opinion, for, you know, for kind of the the perspective that, baseball is taking too much money out of the game that, you know, there, there are too many owners and too many teams who aren't spending um, enough on their team. And because of that, you know, the innovation that the race have shown over the years to the credit of their front office is largely because their owner, you know, hasn't provided them with the resources, you know, to build a team in what you would think of as sort of like the normal or traditional way. Yeah. Um, and that's led to the Rays, you know, obviously being a pioneer in terms of like these long extensions, which leaves a guy like Chris Archer making, you know, kind of peanuts compared to maybe what he could make on the open market. And as a result, like, I think I think the reason the Rays are getting targeted by certain baseball writers is because the Rays are always kind of that whipping boy. And as we discussed earlier, you never see this kind of thing said about like Billy Bean's innovations, you know, the money ball period. And, and even, you know, beyond that, the teams that you know, from 2011 to 2014 that were really good where, you know, they kind of pieced together a bunch of, you know, kind of semi-shoddy looking players or at least, you know, the players that lacked, you know, all five dimensions. And yeah. he's together this team. He had to do that because his owner is garbage as well and will never spend any money. And, you know, there's the stadium, the whole thing. But for whatever reason, Billy Bean is kind of the hero of that story. But the Rays front office always seems to kind of take take the crap um, for their owner in, in those situations. And as a result, a whole bunch of writers, you know, and, and baseball types are super upset and seem to, to feel like this is a move solely designed to undercut player salaries and to hurt pitchers, hurt starting pitchers. Yeah. And, cha- you know, and, and game the arbitration process for years to come, all of which seems like, to me... You know, points it's a that bit are hyperbolic. Va- yeah, there are points there that are valid if this continued and if this became a thing. But after two outings, it kind of feels like a desperate desire that a lot of... And I see this too often, um, you know, among baseball writers. And on the one hand, I think it's a good instinct to want to, you know, to have that intersectionalist perspective and bring all these, you know, these things together and to think about how, you know, baseball affects, you know, players, how it affects fans, um, you know, economically, culturally, the whole thing. I, I love all that. Um, there's a lot of good writing that comes out from that. But it can mm-hmm. also lead to, to, to baseball writers wanting so badly to, to shoehorn their perspective into something that they end up sounding just like really pedantic and, and <laughs> hyperbolic and just totally over the top, you know, with some of these things to the point where a sports blog about a specific team 
isn't supposed to cover the you know something like this from a baseball perspective. They're supposed to only cover it from the fact that this is just another you know play by the owners to screw the you know uh, minor leaguers. But no, and, we're patsies to the ownership group because blah blah blah. Yeah, Brandon's really subtly referring to the fact that DRB has kind of been been taken to task on Twitter the last couple of days because apparently we don't discuss the socioeconomic impacts of what this means for baseball. And I've taken those comments to heart. I mean, and, and you did, and I should say just to help you guys out, yeah, you did discuss it. It just wasn't the primary focus of your, of your coverage on the fact that. No, and I, I to think it yeah. overlooks that we're kind of excited in general about a team trying something new and I know the analytics department for the Rays is over the moon that what they tried here worked. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this is something that they pitched, and the front office is like, you know what, let's give it a whirl. And if this was a movie starring Brad Pitt, it would be nominated for an Oscar. But because <laughs> it's the Rays, we're, you know, kind of dragging down the entire concept of starting pitching. And I don't know that that's fair because I, I can tell you with absolute certainty that if the Rays could have at least four starting pitchers right now, they would love that. Yeah. But they're not going to go out on the open market and get a guy when you have guys like Evaldi like four weeks out from coming back, where you have Honeywell and Dillion coming back next season after TJ. Um, you know, like yeah. they, they don't necessarily see the need to add to their roster when they have the pieces there, they're just not working right now. And and they're so, also, like, I mean, they're and they're just you know to, to put it in context of the AL East, they're always also in a division where you know the two best teams in the division might mm-hmm. be you know two of the top three teams in all of baseball, and to commit you know for any team, even a team you know that that spent money and had a better revenue base with the. The franchise and the fans and the stadium that, you know, you don't necessarily know that, that a team like that in, in the race situation would go out and, you know, like deal, you know, a top prospect or something, you know, or deal, deal Willie Adamas for a, you know, a good starting pitcher. Like, you know, that's not the way they've operated. And I think the overall critique that a lot of these people made is, is an accurate one. Um, the, I just think the problem is like, you know, trying so desperately to push that to the forefront that you're ignoring baseball. And from an, you know, an an economic standpoint, what does baseball produce? Baseball produces joy and pain and drama. And billionaires. And billionaires. That's what it, that's what it (laughs) produces. I mean, you know, I I don't see it being a long-term move. So I think like all the clutch, the curl, the pearl clutching that we're seeing going on right now, it's a bit too early for that. Yeah, like, it just feels like day, a lot of people I, wanting to jump in and seem real smart by you know drawing this perspective and trying to force other people to cover this you know this specific incident the way they think like all these implications might spring from it you know and it's it's just asinine and there, there was a lot of real pompous nonsense said um, to to D Ray's Bay and Danny in particular on Twitter I thought from some writers that I that I do like and respect but um, in this particular case I just think wait went way over the top so. I agree. But and that said, I, I think there may be merit in some of what they're saying. So it is something that the staff are looking at to see if we can kind of approach it from a different perspective than just like, oh, this is an exciting experiment. Yeah. And maybe look at some of the more fiscal aspects that we hadn't considered. Yeah. But I, I don't think you need to make an entire social issue like 
the oh my god i know it's well let's see and it's easy as a tiger Stu sternberg isn't the monopoly man cackling and twisting his mustache well because he doesn't have one for starters mm-hmm. but he's he's not an evil dude he's just a dude who doesn't like to spend money he doesn't think he needs to yeah yeah that's the bottom line yeah and you know and he certainly could i mean he's certainly a billionaire and you know i know his team probably doesn't generate the revenues that other teams do certainly doesn't um, to the point that they, they get revenue sharing and all that. So, you know, he's a target for me. Um, I, you know, I've brought him up as well, um, as well as the A's owner, the Pirates owner. Terrible. Just god-awful owners who should not be allowed to own a baseball team, in my opinion, if they're not going to, you know, going to spend a certain amount to, you know, consistently to try to make this thing happen. But, but in the end, um, this is, you know, an interesting experiment of putting a reliever out, you know, in the first inning twice. And that, and at the end of the day, that that's pretty much all it is. And the entire uh-huh. socioeconomic issue of, you know, minor leaguers and their compensation and, you know, the difficulties of defining roles and value um, that, that is becoming a, a bigger part of the arbitration process because starters don't go as deep um, because relievers are more valuable but aren't necessarily compensated that way in arbitration. You know, that, that's all a, in a very an, a very valid subject and, and something that I think has been written about and talked about a lot. In fact, because there was so little else to talk about, we talked about it all goddamn winter. Like, that's all <laughs> anyone wrote about. You know, that's what I, yeah. I was writing about. It. You were writing about it. everybody. Big time, yeah. you know, big time sites, baseball prospectus, Yahoo, Jeff Passan, all those, everybody from top to bottom. And so I don't think that it's at all fair to kind of, yeah, for anyone to act like, ah, you know, everybody else is missing, you know, the, the key. I'm the only one seeing through the looking glass here, people, at what this really means. Um, yeah, I just I just think the whole thing just got a little bit out of hand and, and over the top. Yeah. So, And I'd frankly like people to worry a little bit more about what minor league players are making and a little less about what the value of a starting pitcher will be in arbitration. Yeah, and I honestly, but, I like I have no sympathy. Um, I just have no sympathy for Major League Baseball players in this regard compared to normal people. I mean, they're a member of what should be the most powerful union in the country in terms of its ability to affect the bottom line of ownership and if they keep screwing it up the way they have, and if Tony Clark continues to be a buffoon about it, and the players aren't getting together to you know to, to communicate about these subjects and make it happen, and and get things the way they they want it to be, um, you know, too bad. Go fuck yourself. You know, <laughs> y'all get to play baseball for a living. Like you know, I'm sympathetic to a point. Like I you know I want to see people get paid what they're worth. I'm certainly not on the side of owners, but um, but yeah, it's not like these people are you know the poor unwashed who can't represent themselves and, you know, don't understand what's being done to them and blah, blah, blah. So, yes, I think, you know, some writers out there who really want to write about topics other than baseball should probably try to go be successful in doing so rather than trying to push so hard sometimes to make all of this, you know, fit into a baseball context when you're just talking about, you know, a, a topic that was being, you know, kind of written about for uh, for fans of the of the Tampa Bay Rays, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. It just all got to be too much. And there were a couple people involved who I find completely insufferable. So I, I, re- I really wanted to bring that up. But I, but I won't. Names yeah, will I, be polite. I won't call them out and they write for, you know, good good websites that are largely obscure to the general baseball public. So probably it's not worth even getting into. Um, yeah, it's fine. Well, just, yeah. The other big time topic I really wanted to kind of touch on, and we're, you know, and this is all, how this all plays out is going to be a long process. We don't really know what, what the kind of shape of sports betting um, nationwide in America is going to take, 
But because the Supreme Court struck down the bans against it, um, there's, you know, there's all kinds of maneuvering going on. And of course, the, you know, Major League Baseball um, and the owners, you know, would like to get a cut of this money because there's going to be a gigantic amount of revenue generated off their sport that they have no access to because they're not going to be running the gambling um, involved in it, nor should they. <clears throat> um, we're, we're, you know, we're going to touch on, you know, a, a very dangerous, you know, situation when it comes to baseball being paid some kind of a fee or licensing fee, you know, by gambling houses to allow them to bet on sports baseball, you know, and the idea that, and this is all from, I should mention, this is all from, much of it is from a Katie Strang article on The Athletic recently, um, entitled How Legalized Sports Betting Will Impact MLB, the Players Union, and Labor Relations. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to think about how this might play out, because there's going to be you know, rightly so, a fear of players throwing games, of game-fixing, match-fixing type stuff. And the league is going to have to probably, I would assume, invest more in, you know, in training and in evaluating and watching their umpires, um, you know, coaches, officials, you know, the players themselves. Um, And this could be a real problem for them. And yet they don't have any way of accessing a share of the profits, um, and nor do the players. So they're maneuvering to to pull that off. Um, and it does sound like you know the league actually did you know some lobbying on behalf of you know trying trying to you know get ahead of, of what the rules are gonna gonna look like. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think is 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 the implication for this? I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously the players would probably like a share of this as, as well. Um, I don't think baseball should get any of this money, personally. Yeah, it does seem like I it needs I don't to be know. totally I don't separate, think that, doesn't it? I think that yeah, yeah, to me that I mean, obviously somebody's going to be making money off it. Like the lottery commission will make money off of it, but mm-hmm. like I don't know that the MLB deserves a piece of that pie. Like. Yeah. Like, did they help lobby to get the law changed? Did they do anything to, like, I don't know. Well, I don't know what, I mean, what they a, did. It's difficult because it's a Supreme Court decision. So I'm sure there was, you know, there was backing for the for the test case that, that got the, you know, the, the ban overturned. But, I mean, it, there isn't a law yet passed, you know, defining the rules. And I assume, you know, that that's all, that's all going on right now. So yeah, I mean, it just—it doesn't feel like the league is entitled to any money, and yet Mm-mm. this is going to cause them some problems. Um, this is this is going to be, you know, kind of difficult um, to keep, you know, from affecting the game, because um, you know we've seen how this goes in other areas. You know, like when this opens up, it's going to be like legalized, you know, marijuana. I mean, there's going to be, a, you know, this is like an instant multi-billion-dollar industry that's suddenly going to come out of the shadows and, and hit the light of day, which makes sense yeah, to me I, because you I can't stop like it might... anyway, but. I feel like there might have to be things added to the rules. Like, I think you may have to allow for something that says no betting players. Um, I don't know how you would even regulate that. Well, I mean, there's there's already all those rules. Obviously, like, going back to Pete Rose, there's all the rules about, you know, that obviously a player can't bet on baseball, can't bet through a proxy on baseball. I mean, that's all in place. But it's enforcing it and being sure that that seems like it's it's just going to be really difficult when a player could go out, you know, especially a starting pitcher could go out, you know, bet ten million dollars against you know against himself and and very easily throw a game entirely um, on his own. So yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you control that. Yeah, I really don't either. Um, 
to give this kind of a bit of a tiger flavor, um, KD Strang spoke to Nick Cassianos, I believe, about this. And the, and the player, um, Nick Cassianos, if people don't know, is the um, the MLBPA representative from the Tigers. So he's the Tigers Players Union rep. Um, according to him, this is something the, the players are keenly aware of, the possibility of all these revenues, you know, streams being generated and who is going to get them. Um, if there's going to be an influx of money as a result of this decision, and I'm quoting here, and the leagues are already clamoring to get a cut of that revenue, the players want to be absolutely sure they're not left out. Um, and this is a quote from Cassianos. Um, Ver is calling all of his fancy people to figure it out, um, referring to Justin Verlander. Um, refer- and referring to Justin Verlander's apparent clout among both his fellow players and other power brokers in the industry, <laughs> which I really loved. I loved hearing that. Um, so this could be a very big positive, Castellanos said. And, I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't, I still, I mean, I just can't really imagine the mechanism by which the players in the league are going to, to make money directly off this. I can certainly no. see it, it being really good for um, you know, ratings and, and discussion of the game. Like, it, it could certainly be good from a, a public relations perspective as far as, you know, there just being a lot more talk about baseball in general. Um, people trying to make their living on it. But, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how this plays out because I just can't really imagine how they can set something up where, you know, like Bovada or, you know, whatever Las Vegas house does sports gambling now and wants to expand just pays pays the owners or pays the league like it just i don't know the whole I thing is just it. kind of baffling <clears throat> yeah and it's definitely going to present a lot of challenges as far as you know making sure it doesn't impact the game negatively so yeah it'll be a big story um that i, I imagine is going to be unfolding all summer long as as sort of the details are hashed out and um you know how licensing is going to be given out to various companies that want to um want to do sports betting so yeah, you can look forward to all that exciting conversation that'll be coming up. I don't know. That's that's gonna be. There's gonna be some oh, gnarly wrangling about that. It won't be the last time that. we talk about this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there will be hot takes for you know for years about this this coming. Oh in. no! I, we haven't even heard Pete Rose weigh in yet. So yeah. I'll be oh my God! Let's not ever. Yeah, I know. Let's just ban him from not just baseball but conversation Life in general. Just out out of everything. Yep. All right. We've got a couple listener questions left. Before oh my God, we do. Before People we move have. along, yeah, they do. Uh, what is the secret to Toledo Seth's success by former FTW? Uh, you know, I, I have to imagine Doug Binkowitz being a genius manager, um, but also mostly the Tigers having a lot of like pretty good players that just aren't quite major league regulars. Um, that's that's what it comes down to, right? They they stocked them with. Cosma and Ronnie Rodriguez and Jim Maducci and they've got Kristen Stewart who is just wrecking shop down there. Who he's mm-hmm. the one who's the the really excellent prospect. Um you know Dawa Lugo's like at least hit for average, even though it's been completely empty. And you know, the pitching's been pretty good down there. We just haven't been able to see those guys come up and um and, and get it done at the same in the same way at the major league level, which is kinda how it goes. So uh, let's see if there's anybody else. There was one. Okay, Dan Roth seventy wants to know not just Josh Turley, but AJ Ladwig and Kyle Dowdy have also been pitching well for Toledo. They'd all have to be on the forty man roster or be exposed to the rule five draft next year. Are they worth rotating rotating through Detroit to see if they can show anything in the majors? <clears throat> yes, I mean I, you know I'll, I'll take that you know from from everybody. Um, he's mentioning that Ryan Carpenter isn't getting anything done, and neither is Lewicki, and Stump is no good, and Farmer's not very particularly good. 
Um, I mean, I can say that about all these guys. Like, none of these guys are proven. I think the, the thing to do, though, yeah, is to, as much as possible, ride the hot hands and keep rotating them through, you know, through Detroit um, and hope, you know, Chris Basio can find something, you know, with one or two of these guys that, that kind of sorts them out and gives them, you know, a little bit of an extra an, an extra edge that they don't have. And that could be a pitch or a grip or something mental or, you know, the you know, the... The hesitation in the delivery, like he's worked on with Matt Boyd, that's helped him out. Um, I, I'm perfectly happy giving everybody a chance to work with Chris Basio for a while, even though most of the the guys that we're all mentioning here, I I just I don't see as being much of a part of the future. Maybe Farmer could be a a back end reliever for years to come. I don't know. He, when he's when he's got his change up and his command, he's pretty good. But I don't, I, you know, you don't trust him, do you? I wouldn't. I don't really trust Buck Farmer with a one run lead in the in the late innings, particularly. So. I trust him with growing a beard real nice. He has a beautiful beard. Very majestic. And his wife Kayla is very nice on Twitter, so Yes, she is lovely. Not you know, not she's not our favorite. Like, you know, Nikki Hardy is, <laughs> We've is, is the queen of our hearts. But that yeah. I love that apparently the Tigers have taken it upon themselves to interview Nikki Hardy more because we like her so much. Yep. Yep. Like she got her. to do like the behind the scenes get to know Nick thing and then because they were in her home state Blaine. playing the twins. Got to know Blaine, right? Yeah. Okay. Whew. Sorry, who did I say? Oh, you said Nick. Oh, Jesus. Because she's Nikki. No, it's fine. There. I know. Just it's fine. I had Nikki on the brain. It's fine. Everything is fine. Get to know Blaine. Clearly, I knew about the more important Hardy. It's oh, fine. Here, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah, yesterday she was talking about how, like, which characters they play in World of Warcraft, and I just, I want to hang out with them. Yeah, they seem super fun. And and just, I, honestly, the, I'm, I'm not a World of Warcraft guy. I barely know, you know, kind of what stuff is, but just, just the sight of her explaining to Mickey York that she was a, a druid and that... Blaine is a hunter who does goes out and does most of the damage while I do most of the healing and just the look at Mickey York's face as he Mickey was York had no follow. idea what she was talking about. He was just like, Who wins more? And Nikki's just going, That's not how this game works. <laughs> yeah, th- this game never ends. We just play and play. <laughs> and Mickey York it's just forever. I, when do you go home? Oh we are at home. We're just doing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that was great. Uh, speaking of which, there was a really cute Instagram photo shared by Joe Jimenez yesterday, I think. Oh, yeah. On Monday of the guys on their flight to um, to Minneapolis playing NBA Jam on the jet. Yeah. And it was like <laughs> Dixon Machado <laughs> wedged in between Matt Boyd and um, James McCann. He's too giant. And then he's in the background. But he's, he just looks like a 12-year-old wedged in between his big brothers. I know. And they're all playing the game on the flight. And it is so cute. Yeah, that is um, a good picture. We posted it as a fan shot, so it's there, and I think it's on our Facebook page. If you haven't seen it, it's just really cute. Yeah, you can find it there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dixon. I mean, Dixon is, you know, Dixon's twenty five or whatever, but he does look like he's like, and his wife too. There was, I don't know, she, they interviewed her briefly when they were doing. Maybe it was Mother's Day or something, but um, I can't remember which game. But she was super cute as well. But she also looked like she was like sixteen. I was like, oh, look at this sweet couple going to prom. Yeah, <laughs> like right. twenty five or whatever. But yeah, they're uh, they're lovely. Um, so yeah, we've got that on the site. Um, I, I did kind of write um, on Monday after Shane Green blew that last save about how why for the reasons that Shane Green should stay closer and that you should leave Joe Jimenez kind of as a flex man coming in to put out the flames and you know pitch eighth innings and try to limit you know how many pitches he's throwing in a game so that his arm doesn't fall off before we're good again. Um, so you can find that on the site as well. Um, the final question. Oh, all right. Here's one. I'm gonna just throw to you. 
Oh, God. Colors You Have wants to know, can Matt Boyd maintain his current level of production over the full season? Not if he stays injured. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, I think that if he bounces back quickly um, and doesn't miss more than a game, um, why are all my streetlights off? I'm sorry, I'm distracted, but oh. it's really dark outside my house, oh, and that's, that's worrying. A little disturbing, um, a little bit weird. Um, I do think Matt Boyd can keep up what he's doing right now all season, uh, provided he stays healthy. Yeah. That was my big asterisk. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think he can keep up quite what he's doing, because right now he has a 3.23 FIP um, before tonight's game. And I, I don't, I mean, I think Matt Boyd might be better than I thought he was and might be like a, a nice three. Sir. Um, I don't think he's he's turned into a borderline ace type pitcher. Um you know, he's got the walks down. Um, the strikeouts aren't really any different than they've been in, in previous years. He is getting a lot of weak contact, which is good, but a lot of it's in the air. Um, you know, Matt Boyd only is getting 32% ground balls, and there are guys like Justin Verlander um, who, who can do that and will get tons of pop-ups and lazy fly balls and will give up home runs only when there's no one on base. Uh, I don't know if I think Matt Boyd is quite ready for all that, and his home run rate right now is about half. Um, of where it was last year. So I, I have to think that the home runs are going to come a little bit more regularly, um, and he's probably you know going to regress a bit. But I do think, based on what I've seen so far, that he's figured some things out, and that, yeah, he, I think he can be a pretty pretty successful and solid you know, number three starter, like a very, yeah. very, very competent mid-rotation type guy who gives you a lot of innings. So um, we'll I, have a, I have a follow-up on this. Okay, yeah, so hopefully, you know, the oblique thing is, isn't, isn't a big deal because um you know they're, they're going to be smart the way they're being with miggy i assume and give him all the time he needs there's no point hurrying him back so i don't know when we'll see him again but um hopefully he can pick right up where he left off uh my question because you mentioned ace material and this was a discussion that came up with our drb staff and it's something i really think i it, it, it tickles my interest hmm. is ace the kind of term you can apply to one guy per team or, like, does every team have their quote-unquote ace? Mm. Or is ace the kind of term that you can only give to, like, the top tier of guys throughout the league? Like, is ace a term we can only apply to guys like Scherzer, Sale, um, Kluber, Verlander? Like, the real, like, high echelon, Kershaw, how dare I leave him out? Um, yeah, but he's, he's leaving himself out a little bit so far. He is. <laughs> but, yeah. but, like, is that the kind of phrasing that we can only give to um to that tier of guy or do we establish a mm. an ace per team like how does yeah. one determine what an ace is yeah i think it gets tricky because i mean and i've never been a big fan of like oh this is our one this is our two this is our three it just kind of people talk that way it's the shorthand and so you end up doing it i think there is a lot i think every team has a has a number one starter but yeah i'm this is just me personally i mean people can think about it however they want but for me there are like seven aces maybe eight aces in the game right now i mean yeah for me like an ace is a guy that when the season starts i expect that he's gonna go 200 innings and probably be around you know and be under 3.5 let's say and do that again and again with a couple seasons that are even better than that so yeah for me yeah it's you know it's scherzer kershaw verlander sale kluber Bumgarner, Bumgarner, are we really though Eh, maybe. I mean, he has been an ace. I don't, you know, he's been banged up the past two years, so maybe he's fallen off that that status. But 
Yeah, there there aren't that many guys that I, that I like to give that to. Even Keuchel, I'm not. I, I don't know if I I could give him a status, even though he won. Yeah, a right. Young. Like at, there was a point in his career, David Price absolutely would have fit the bill, but oh, no longer sure. does. Yeah. So it's it's a, obviously it's a flexible label, which I find very interesting about the concept. It really is. Like um, James Shields is a good one because everyone always said, you know, James Shields is an ace. Like he's a guy who does all those acey things. He was amazing. The field, like and then the, he wasn't. Yeah, but even when he was amazing, like the numbers weren't incredible. It's just that they were really good and consistent, you know, and and like and lots of innings. Like he would give you those two hundred innings every year and go out there and and just pound people down and lead the staff and teach the young guys. Um, some of, there's some of that too. There's like a presence thing that that you have to have a little bit to be to be an ace. So yeah, yeah. it is an interesting topic. Yeah, we get into that Sorry. on the site from time to time too. Like is it you know well he's the number one, but is he their ace? But yeah, I definitely yeah. don't think there are thirty aces. I'm 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 not on that. Because that, that was the thing I was like thinking about it in terms of Chris Archer, like because Chris Archer I don't think has ever been an ace. Yeah, I think he's he's had shades of ace in certain stages of his career, but I don't think he's ever reached that potential. But because he's the number one guy in the Rays rotation, people know who he is. Yeah. So I find that very interesting. Although right now I would argue a hundred percent that that person is Blake Snell, but. Yeah, he's looked great, for sure. Um, well, then you look at, like, maybe a, a good example is James, um, well, James Paxton and, and maybe Luis Severino, who's been even better. Like, Luis Severino is borderline an ace now. Like, I need two years first, because that's the other thing, is I really, I get really annoyed about, like, the you know, the short-term, you know, hype of the moment thing with guys where, oh, he's an ace now, he's pitching like an ace, James Paxton's an ace now. Like, you know, you got to do it for a year at least, you know, like consistently and, and yeah. usually more. So and I, I, think, I wouldn't even call I him, think, I wouldn't call Paxton an ace yet either, but Severino no, is but close. I, I think Paxton has the makings. Yeah. He, pitch, I, he I can think, pitch like an ace. He just hasn't quite figured out how to, you know, consistently do it and stay on the field yet. Yeah. I mean, like Felix Hernandez absolutely would have fit the bill for a couple of years of his career. Yeah. Granky uh, for a long time. Yeah. Granky was Felix. untouchable for a while. Yep. So yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, yeah. so that's a th- that's a thing for you kids at home to think about. Yeah. Um, but what is an ace? Yeah, what is an ace, and what does that mean to you? Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the farm system. We kind of like start to do this, but I I think I'm going to wait. We're going to have a um, we're going to do a Patreon episode um, for our Patreon subscribers, um, which you can find at blessyouboys.com backslash Patreon. If you oh wait, it's the reverse. <laughs> www.patreon.com backslash bless you boys. Um, if you'd like to go over there and become a member, um, donations to the site and that kind of support over there is really helpful to us. And we do put up some special features over there. Um, Robert Jackie, our site editor, and I are going to do a pre-draft episode and we're probably going to talk about the farm a whole bunch. And I'm hoping to have um, Max Boltman, who's been writing a lot of great stuff on the Tigers and also about Casey Mize and some draft stuff um, for The Athletic. And I'm going to try to have him on for a special episode later this week. So you'll probably see that on Friday. So I'm not going to say a whole lot about the farm system, except that, um, you know, Daz Cameron, good. Kristen Stewart, good. <laughs> Matt Manning looked awesome today. That's three good ones in a row. Alex Fayedo bounced back after some rough starts. Like, these are the guys that are doing pretty well. And honestly, everybody else is scuffling. Like, Jake Rogers is scuffling. Isaac Prades has looked great, but hasn't really had the results over the past month. And, you know, there's some good relievers and stuff, but it's still, I just, I hate getting on about the prospects this time of year, about especially going by their numbers. So we're just going to kind of keep just touching on that. And uh, later on in the year, we'll start bringing in Emily Walden and Dan Hasty and more, more of the, uh, the prospecty folk to, to take a look. Um, yep. 
Um, we do have a new um, Tigers prospect notebook up on the site. It's been up there for a day or so if you didn't see it. But um, Keenan Carter, um, who we just hired, um, is a new writer on staff. And he's going to be covering probably a lot of minor league stuff. Um, he gets out to see the Whitecaps and even the Seawolves um, quite a bit. So um, you can look for his coverage on the site as well. And I think that's about it for the week. Um, Ashley will be gone next week having a magical adventure in the South. and I'm I'll, sure everyone will miss me so much. They will. They're going to be very upset. <laughs> I will be upset, and I'm going to have to piece together um, a guest, or um, maybe I'll just take the week off. It's, that's possible. If it's nice out, I might just take a break and, and come back after that with the, uh, the, the doing the shows you know, for the Patreon thing and um, yeah, with the prospects and farm system. And we'll just give you two episodes this week to hold you over. So, we'll see. you lucky jerks, I'll be back the week after that, first week of June. That's right. And then you'll have to deal with me all over again. Yep. And, and we'll I'll be tanned, and I'll have all sorts of opinions on baseball <laughs> stadiums. Oh, yeah, that's true. I really want to talk to you about SunTrust when you come back, because it looks yeah, pretty Yeah, man, awesome. we'll, we'll give a breakdown. It'll be great. I'll review the, the various right visiting locations. It'll well, be fun. We'll add some pictures in there on the site for you. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Ashley's Southeast Tour. Okay. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening and supporting us, and we will see you before too long you can follow ashley at 90 feet from home on twitter you can find me at fiscadoro 74 on twitter ashley have a good night peace out See you.